7, verse 12. Whatever, is, whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and the bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than it is the beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for uh, hearts to understand and believe and trust in and hope in. Uh, the wonders of what you have uh, brought us here to see and understand. We pray we would, uh, we would be quick to, to adjust, to pivot, to change direction as you guide us. We ask for your power to do so. In Christ's name, amen. So as we begin this morning uh, in our study of Ecclesiastes, it made me think of this week, of course, about adversity. Like, that's kind of part of life. That's something that we all face. And uh, I watched, I think it was this last week or the week before, Remember the Titans with my boys. And uh, they're kind of at that stage where you can start introducing things that, you know, have different themes. And we even have to stop sometimes and explain, like, this is what's going on in this particular part of history, this time in history, and all that kind of stuff. But in that, uh, that, that particular movie, um, there's this team that's trying to come together, and they've been forced to come together. And uh, as that story unfolds, a uh, new coach is going to be put in place of uh, the old coach, and the old coach was like going to be a Hall of Fame coach. And it's this kind of whole story and this drama that's unfolding before you. And so uh, we talked about uh, adversity in general as we moved through that movie, and I thought about it a lot um, one of the things, too, if you think about uh, life in general, if you're guiding people anywhere, you know that you have people that kind of their natural bent is to complain, you know, to push against you. 
Uh, there are some that you think like they just need to get together and complain with one another every week and then leave it at that table and then come back and be with the group because they just always have a reason, you know. But adversity does push you to the limits. I mean, that's just the reality. We face a lot of adversity. And uh, I guess you could say the greater the weight, potentially oftentimes, the more the adversity. Uh, I was thinking about um, my one of my sons. We discussed this last night. But I, we were talking about how a college football coach is paid X amount of dollars. And he said, well, what is a governor paid? And I was like, this amount. And he said, well, I mean, the college football coach, he's doing more important stuff. Right? I was like, not exactly. Not exactly. But uh, the reality is, is the adversity on a football field is much different than uh, running a state, you know. And so it just kind of hit me, you know, about that. But also we were talking about Nick Saban and, and we've visited about him. So I watch it like his press conferences and he always says like the team overcame adversity, the team overcame adversity. Life's a lot of adversity. So you want to overcome the adversity. I, I think some of us think if I have enough money, I can overcome all adversity. If I have uh, had more time, I could overcome whatever adversity. If I had the right team, I could overcome, you know, adversity. If I just had myself free from anybody else, I can overcome, you know, all adversity. But the deal is, is we do deal with that. And when we deal with complex issues in life, we will face difficulty in that process. So that is kind of where we are today. Now, just remember in the book, he's talking about life under the sun without a view towards God just living life uh, under the sun, under this fallen condition, living life on earth, look, living life from a horizontal perspective, looking at everything that's going on. And he says, you know, people are trying to find ultimate meaning in all of those things. And he speaks of wisdom and pleasure and work as things that people try to find ultimate meaning in. And they can't really find it. Or even if they find it, sometimes it leaves them. You know, or they think they're going to, and then it kind of goes away. And he says, ultimately, you have to just say, God has times for everything. You ought to stand in awe of him. And then he continues forward, and he says, while living in this kind of life, you're going to see a lot of wickedness and oppression. You're going to face that throughout. And so, what do you do? What do you do when something tries to grab you away from God? He says, go regularly to worship. Spend your life in worship. Focus in regularly to spend time with God and to consider Him. So, again, you're thinking about this book. Today we're talking about adversity. But the flow of book is saying, like, hey, you're going to face a lot of things. You're going to see a lot of things. You're not going to understand everything. There's things that are going to frustrate you. But ultimately, as you move along, you want to be able to step beyond what you see here and to see God, and so you need to regularly worship before him. Last week he said, again, let me remind you, money is not going to bring contentment. Instead, like, just enjoy the gifts that God has given you. And today he's going to say, hey, it's not like you're not going to face adversity. I try to tell people all the time, you, you just, and I try to tell myself, but I forget, it's harder to tell myself than tell people, that it's hard. Life's going to have a lot of difficulties, and things are going to come 
that you don't understand. And so that's where we are today. So here's, here's the first step into this. In 10 to 12, he says, basically, no one knows what is good. What is he saying? He's saying God has orchestrated these things. God has already set everything up. He has organized the whole universe. God is over the universe and everything in it. He set order. And if you want to grumble, you can grumble away. It won't fix it. I mean, God's in charge of it. He's not like if everything's been set up by him and it's in his timing and plan, like all of your grumbling in the world, you can't keep pushing against the great and sovereign God, you think you can, but ultimately uh, you're not going to be able to move him. Um, and you're not always going to understand what he's doing. Like that's just something Job dealt with that. He's in wisdom literature and he argued with God. And uh, at the end of all of his arguing with God, God came to him in a whirlwind. And Job had to confess, I have uttered what I did not understand, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes so he came to this place where in the midst of his adversity he's not understanding at all he pushes against God and you know what he finds out ultimately I'm not God and I don't understand everything and I can trust him and I can rest in that and so matter no matter how much you kind of bring before him you have to ultimately say I need to trust in the God who reigns over the universe, and Job ultimately ended up putting his hand over his mouth and repenting. So sometimes I might have to do that. And I know that in my own life and in yours, that's going to come. Now, there's a couple of basic questions he's going to ask. The first question is about our present existence. Like, kind of what value is it? It's short. It's like a shadow. Like, it seems very perplexing and vain. It seems wasted. At some level, there's things about that are really hard, but he wants you really to know kind of how to live the good life. And so the second question comes, and he says, who, know, who knows what will happen afterward when on earth, uh, whether on earth or in heaven? And so he's going to build, an, uh, he's kind of asking all these questions about these big picture questions of life, and he has to just trust the Lord. He's going to have to get to that place where he does. And he's going to say it's better to be wise than foolish. So that's kind of, what do you do with all the adversity and trouble? Well, at one level you say, God is God, and another one you say, I'm going to try to live a wise life. That's kind of the way I would see it. So if we leave God out, um, we're not certain of like this life or the future, but if we trust God, we can be certain both in his promises today and in the future, and so we can trust him and know that this is all preparation for a long eternity where everything that we've done on this earth, it does matter to God and we can trust him. So that's where we are kind of thinking through this as we're moving ahead. We're asking ourselves like, what is good? What do we do? How do we do life here? There's a lot of difficulty. Now, there are things in this life that are better than others. And that's kind of what we're talking about today too. We're looking at in the midst of adversity, in, in the midst of like the troubles, the the global troubles or the, you know, this, the, the, our community's troubles or our own family troubles, whatever those things are, there is a better way to go about it than a lot of people do. That, that's kind of what he says. So again, as a wisdom teacher, he's trying to say, I want to make some comparisons. This is better than that when it comes to like really thinking through 
life. The first is, thinking about our death is better than living in denial. Like, thinking about our death is better than living in denial. Look at verse 1. He starts, a good name in chapter 7 is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of birth. That's kind of an interesting thing. We'll look at the first part. What is he saying? A good name is of greater value than having a really fine piece of of perfume, you know, like a a lot of like nice things you might say. But this in this case, uh, perfume was like a really uh, fine thing or a cologne type thing. It was used in that uh, period of time. And he's saying like a good name's better than having something uh, there. In a way, you could say the aroma of a good name is better than the aroma of just like a, a, a nice smell. And so that's that's where he's at, and that's what he's thinking about. Because you kind of say, when I think of somebody's life or somebody's name, when their name comes to mind, people think things. They they would say things about you. And you, you kind of ask yourself, like, are you cheerful or critical? Are you generous or stingy? Are you building people up or tearing them down what what do you do what are you all about because you are what you do and so you have to ask yourself like am i really like do i understand that he's been talking about the money thing there are some people for instance that uh, like let's say a husband uh says i want to make sure and make up for all my bad deeds, so I'll buy my wife something really nice. I'm really not a good husband, but I am a good gift giver. So you would say, hold on just a second, you can bring home as much money as you possibly could imagine and dump it on the floor before her, or things that are worth a lot, or you could be like a really great person. A godly man. Now, some wives don't want a godly man because they're not godly. But, I mean, we would, I would think here you would want a godly man. And so you bring that before her, and it's of greater value. Like all the treasures of the world bring nothing in comparison to being around somebody who is faithful and good and solid and right and just and true. Then he goes on, in the day of death and the day of birth. Now, this is interesting, and some of you may say, well, I don't, oh, well, this doesn't even, I don't know about that. Are we supposed to look forward to our death? I mean, come on, man. What do you think? Philippians 1, to 23 says, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Now, that's, that's a shocking kind of reality. Most people are trying to escape death. You know, and, and at some level you could say, well, are you saying you just want to die today? You just want to die like, is that what you think about all the time is dying? It's like, I don't think that's the idea. I think he's just saying overall, like when you're thinking about these things. Now, you could take it negatively or you could take it positively. Negatively, you might say, you know what? I'm so down and depressed I would rather die than live. Positively, you would say, As Thomas Boston said, in the day of his birth, he was born to die. In the day of his death, he dies to live. The positive thing for the Christian is looking forward. He continued and said, 
Boss, he, he further describes our dying day as the day we enter a better world, a higher perfection, greater purity, deeper rest, better company, and better in, in employment than the world we entered on the day we were born. Death is our entrance into glory. So I, I think there is that element where you're saying like, there is something that's looking um, forward. The other thing is, is to have lived a solid life and to be able to, um, as one of the, there's a, in the Lord of the Rings, there's a man says, now I can enter in with my fathers, you know, and kind of be at peace. There, there's this picture of like coming to the end of one's life and to have lived a, in a good way brings a lot of joy to, to, to your family, to your own heart, to see the great and, and grand things that God has done versus like having to, to start out. Like finishing the race is something that we would look forward to as Christians. The second thing here you see as we're thinking about death um, is better than living in kind of denial, you might say, is the next step is it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Death has something to teach us about life. That's just the reality. And that's something we have to come to, to grips with because it's not wrong to enjoy a festival and to enjoy something that's enjoyable. They're, those have their benefit. Uh, going to a wedding and all those things. You think about Jesus. He turned water into wine at a wedding. He, he was a part of celebrating things. But at the same time, you just have to say to yourself, you know what? Like it, it, it really is like being among those who are sorrowful is often of greater benefit when you're thinking about your life. So look at the third thing here. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. Now, some of you, and most of us here maybe, want to reduce, like for instance today, if you read, uh, I read an article not too long ago about uh, just kind of the speedy funeral thing, you know, where everybody, like, like weeping, mourning, times of sorrow, funerals, that kind of stuff, people want that to go away as fast as possible. We don't even want to hear much about it. They're changing the times that they do funerals, changing the way in which they do funerals. All of that stuff is happening around us at a rapid rate. Uh, really, a funeral home is having to pivot a lot with regard to how things are being done. And you say, well, hold on just a second. What he's saying is when you step in here to a sorrowful situation, it is better than laughter. And I told you, my boys were like, what is wrong with this guy? We love to laugh. Like, what is wrong with this guy? What he's saying is, there's something that happens in the heart of someone who is facing those difficulties and those sorrows. There is a way to live. There's a better way to live. You can try to laugh your life away, but the reality is, is that one day you're going to face the Lord. One day you will face death. And so the shortness of this life requires to, for you to think about it, to consider it. I had a lady tell me recently, I may have mentioned this to you, that she was rejoicing 
in watching her parents die. In, in this sense, she said, they taught me how to die well. There's something about that process or even a good funeral that helps prepare you to die. Um, I, uh, I, I've been thinking, or the other day I woke up thinking about Ross Perot. And some of you may be like, come on, man. But he was from Texarkana. And I think about him often and some of the things that he did in his lifetime. But I went back and looked at um, the the times that he was, uh, like, or the people that like kind of eulogized him. And I thought, man, there was something about that that I thought, you know what? Like, that was good for me. It inspired me. It reminded me to what the, how to live a life that, could be a blessing to other people in different ways. And he was involved in countless things. There may have been things you didn't like about him and did like about him. But at the end of the day, uh, it just reminded me about like how to live and what that's like. There's some, some level of deep gratitude in a life that's lived well and a sobriety about participating in that that some people never really see and understand. But there's a better way. Instead of just being silly your whole life, there are times that you, when you're moving into these things, it is better for you, better for your soul, better for the direction of your life if you experience uh, the sorrow of seeing someone pass away. Fourth, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. This kind of continues in that vein. It really does cause you to consider there is a deal where you might say, you know what, uh, there is a place for amusement parks in the life of my family. But I, if I tried to live there all the time, what kind of people would it produce? I mean, that, that to me is like, that's not where they're going. I mean, you may right now be racing your kid around from one amusement to another. But what, what do you think that's going to produce? I, I often do wonder, like, are we thinking about what we are trying to raise here, like, are we really, is the goal here men and women? I mean, is that, is that the goal? That, that's what I understood to be the goal. Is that, is that the goal? Is that the goal for you, like to raise men and women who are godly men and women who pursue things that are of greatest good? You know where it won't be found? It won't be found in you modeling entertaining yourself to death or you modeling entertaining them to death. It just will not satisfy. It will not like establish them and ground them in the ways of the Lord. Some of the earliest thoughts, when I go back, you might say, well, this is strange. But I do remember those times of sorrow in my family. And I was not taken away from them i was not said like it wasn't like oh he shouldn't feel the weight of that we felt the weight of that i mean i i, I do remember riding with my father as he was uh, that we were facing uh, someone else's sorrow and entering into that to bless them i remember sitting in the car waiting out there for him their family in the yard and he's over there ministering to them and i'm watching that unfold do you think that's better then your kid going to like some like celebratory party. It was good for me. Why? Because it reminded me of what life is about. It reminded me what life in a fallen world was about. 
again, everything in our life was not about whether or not it made daddy happy, mommy happy, or the kids happy. The, the, the real life was about serving other people. Life was about giving yourself away. There's something better about you going into situations that are not easy that nobody wants to go into. And considering what life is about. That's a place where souls are developed. Where the, ability, the courage to move forward into that, the, the desire to empathize with someone, that's those characteristics are what you're looking for. Right? It's not whether they won. We got first place, really. But have you given your life away in service to another? What do you want from your kids? What, what do you want? Do you want them to lay their lives down in service to others? Or do you want them to be the most selfish people on the planet? You have to ask yourself that and you need to act upon it. You set before them the life of what is better. And if you are a grandparent, you're doing the same thing. You're doing the same thing. You are trying to set before them the better life. They're going to have adversity. If you, did, if, if you like did not l prepare them to enter into adversity... What do you think they're going to be ready for when life hits them? It's going to hit them. It's going to hit them. So I think it's important just to say that. So thinking about death is better than living in denial. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise as we keep going forward than the song of fools. My boys like a song called Raining Tacos. Have you all heard that song? you haven't, you've missed something. The chorus goes like this. I want to sing it, but I'm like kind of scared as to what you might say. It's raining tacos out in the street. Tacos, all you can eat. Lettuce and shells, cheese and meat. It's raining tacos. And then it repeats that like 17 times. Is that going to develop them? Is it wrong to play that song? No. Is there a place for laughter? Yes. Don't be a weirdo when we leave here. Yes. It's okay to like, yeah. But with regard to training them, if I were to say like, I, if I were to say to, to myself like, what training songs am I going to get for them? That would probably not be on the list. So, they're try we're trying to grow in wisdom. And so what does that mean? Nobody likes a rebuke. And there's a way to give a rebuke that makes nobody like it. Because there are some people that are like, love to make it really hard for somebody to hear something hard. You know? But I think it's important just to say, my kids... Um, what we're trying to do is develop them and move them into adulthood. And in doing so, I want them to grow in wisdom. And so they're going to have to spend a lot of time listening to wisdom. They're going to have to spend a lot of time thinking about things they don't really want to think about. 
And um, I just would say to you, like, if you're if you're thinking about that, that's it's it's really really important to consider. It's easy to again uh, take your kids to do something fun. It's another thing to have them step into more difficult situations, but you're preparing them for a life of service, and in doing so, it requires that you would do that. And so I think it's important, just you'll see this, he says, for as the crackling of the thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. It's kind of like saying, well, you know, like when you when you put those kind of like thorns together, they'll pop and make all this noise and the light will be coming, but there's no heat. There's no food being cooked under a pot of crackling thorns. It's just the reality. And in the same way in life, it's not, it is, it's um, like one person said, he who laughs the loudest will not necessarily laugh the longest. You want a deep-seated joy grounded in the faith, and you want to build that because trouble's coming. It's just always coming. Adversity's coming. You know, and you want to teach them how to live today. It's not just about your kids. You want to keep teaching yourself how to live. You got to keep teaching yourself how to live to the glory of God. And you do that by embracing wisdom. And wisdom sometimes confronts our foolishness, it's helping us become wise. So it's important to think about death. It is good to hear a rebuke, especially if it comes from somebody who's wise. There are some people that would rebuke you and you want to just say, like, when they walk out, Lord, let me forget that for the rest of my life. They don't know what they're talking about. But a wise person, you're like, well, that, that's helpful. That's helpful. I mean, it's helpful. So, okay, then the end of the matter is uh, better than its beginning. So, I think as you look at this, just think about um, verse 7. It says, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe, a bribe uh, corrupts the heart. So what is he saying? He's saying like even the wise under a lot of pressure will sometimes give in to the easiest way out. That, that would be the kind of thing. What is the easiest way out? Verse 8, he goes on. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. Many times, like when you think about life, you've got to keep the long-term stuff in view. I always try to, and I'm not saying I always do this well, but I always try to think about this church as 20 years from now. I, I, I always think about that. Like, what will this do for our children 20 years from now? What will it do for our um, leadership 20 years from now? Um, what is this going to look like 20 years from now? Not like, and I'm not thinking about how many people will go here, how big will the budget be. I mean, that's not, I'm thinking like, are we creating an environment where people are wise in pursuing wisdom? Are we raising those kind of people up? And we're sending out wise people from this place. And so you're always kind of looking out in the longer view, the longer game. We play the long game. And so, um, generally speaking, when you do that, um, it works out pretty well, both in life and certainly in the Christian life. But for most of us, if you could just say, you know what, what is this, for instance, if you were budgeting, what is this cup of coffee 20 years from now if I cease to drink that? 
Like if I said, oh, I have an $8 cup of coffee every day, times 5, that's 40. Times 52, that's 2,080. Times 20 years, that's $400,000, right? Times like whatever interest I might have earned or whatever, you know. So I was just thinking of it financially. Or I might say, oh, you know, if I eat this, these 10 cookies every day for the next whatever, and I eat those, I eat 10 cookies times 30 is 300, times 12 is 3,600, times 20 years is 72,000, what value is that going to bring to my life? If I'm thinking about that spiritually, and I'm thinking like, if I eat X amount of spiritual calories every day, X amount of protein, spiritually speaking, over 20 years, what will that produce? And you might say, and I would say, as Paul would say, bodily discipline is of some value, but how much more spiritual? And how much more on spiritual things? And so you just have to kind of, you're always making decisions and you're always looking at the long game. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who will deliver us from the wrath to come. That's playing the long game. The long game is Christ is coming again and he will deliver us from the wrath to come. Live as if Christ is coming again and that he's delivering us from the wrath to come. The end of every chapter of that letter is the promise of the future. So the end of every chapter in that letter is that it's better to live for spiritual things. The gospel, Christ coming on this earth, um, the whole story of redemption, all of it is, it begins in this humility, it ends in exaltation. I want to be in that rhythm. And so I think that's important. You do too, I'm sure. As you kind of continue to think about this and, and you're looking into this, you, you see this uh, in 8b, I guess you could say through verse 10. The patient in spirit are better than the proud. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from uh, wisdom that you ask this. Now, again, he's just saying like, one of the easiest ways to know whether someone's trusting God's timing is what they get angry about. If you called somebody today, when you left church, somebody in here, and said, how are things going? And they were honest. Well, this has happened at work. This is this and that and lays all this stuff out. This is what's going on in the world that we live in. This is how horrible everything is. The sky is falling. And you said, okay, the sky's falling. Does God still reign on the throne? Well, yeah, yeah. The sky's still falling? I mean, it is going to fall one day when he brings judgment on the earth and then rescues his people. But really? Have you put all your hope and trust in what's going on in this world that you can see with your eyes? Or are you putting your hope and trust in God? Are you thinking in terms of like he is building a kingdom that will last forever 
that he promises to be with us to the very ends of the age, then why are you always talking about all the things that you are afraid of? Why are you spending your life in fear? Patiently waiting upon the Lord is what we're called to do. That is the life of faith. It's better for your soul. It's better for the people around you. It's better for this church. It's better for the world that you live in. It is better. It is better. And so, we continue. Trying to grow in wisdom, we'll say, I'll think about my death. I will think about my death. It will help me. I will listen to wisdom from others, from the Word of God, from the people of God, from wise people. I will listen to them. I'm not going to entertain myself to death. I will look to the long game. I will put daily deposits in to my family, to growing in the faith, to whatever it may be that I would think the Lord would have me do. I'm going to put daily deposits in that, knowing that the end is going to be better than where we started. And then as we kind of like look at this in verse 11 and 12, uh, one author calls this wisdom is an advantage. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Now here's the thing. He's been like, you might say, he's been talking trash about money, right? Well, he's talking pretty hard about like the love of money, not money as a whole. Um, And he's also talked about some of the dangers, as we would of a lot of areas in life. What he's saying here is that um, there is an advantage in having money with like earthly concerns. You can address earthly concerns concerns with money if something goes wrong generally speaking unless the whole economy collapses money allows you to pay for things that you need for your daily uh, bread and those kinds of things so then he says how much better is wisdom how much better is wisdom wisdom is greater than money because it not it doesn't just deal with the physical needs of today it deals with the heart issues the soul and so he says it's better to be wise than a fool it's like it wisdom preserves the life of the one who possesses it and i I would even go further to say like in psalm one that like um the wise man is the one like like by a stream of water and it yields its fruit in season it's going to bless other people a wise person is a blessing to those around them A, a wise person is people benefit from their life so Riken says by laying death to heart and looking ahead to what god has planned for us in christ we will live wisely and die well that's what we want to do that's what i want to do because those things are coming trouble is coming adversity is coming and in the midst of adversity i want to be faithful I want to be found faithful i want to live in light of a, a, a long eternity in a short life here. I want to live as if there are there is a better way. I may not be here very long. I know that. You know that. We all know that. But the time I'm here, I want to live it well. And I want to raise up the next generation of people who live for things that matter. That's what I want them to be people that things that matter. 
I want them to live their lives in a way that would bring honor to God, bless other people. I, I, I want to live for things that matter before them, and I want them to be people who are wise. Not just wise on this earth in the sense of like they know how to get along and get theirs or whatever. I want them to be wise about all kinds of things. But ultimately, I want them to be people that you could say they are wise men and if as a church, I would say we're raising up wise men and women who live to the glory of God, to the good of others, with an eye towards heaven, pressing on, running the race, finishing it, and finishing it well. So let's pray. Father, we pray that we would continue to grow in wisdom as a church, that we would be people that love to, to raise up and love to cultivate hearts Big hearts, little hearts that are that are pursuing the things that most matter. Lord, we know that our schedules can be slammed with activity. May it be an activity that develops us into people that will guide people to the Savior that will bless the heartbroken, that will confront the darkness. We ask you to do that in Christ's name. Amen.